Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. 50 plus in midlife looks nothing like it used to. As a generation, we're fitter, healthier, and we hit the half a century mark with little sign of slowing down. I mean, JLo and Jennifer Aniston are 50 plus, and they are total smoke shows. And yet, there's no denying that something happens to us sexually at 50. Between menopause, which can bring bottomed out libidos to painful sex, midlife body changes like weight gain and bad backs, to the medicines that we take for midlife health issues, our sex life can suffer. So I am thrilled to welcome a guest today who knows that great sex can start at 50. Tracy Cox is one of the world's foremost writers on sex and relationships and has been writing, researching, and talking about sex for 30 years. She is a co-host of a new weekly podcast with award-winning literary podcaster Zibby Owens called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Sex. She's written 17 books, which includes the bestsellers Hot Sex and Super Sex. Her latest book is Great Sex Starts at 50, How to Age-Proof Your Libido. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Yes, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I am too. And I, I, I was up late last night reading your book. And uh, but my first question is, you know, 17 books, that's a lot of books. What made you write this last one? Great Sex Starts at 50. Um, it is a lot of books, isn't it? And the thing about publishers <laughs> is that they always want a general sex book. They never want niche books because they want something that's going to appeal to everybody. And after having written 16 books, I honestly thought, especially with the Internet and everything, I thought I would never be writing another sex book. But then um, um, Australian publishers said, right, we do want to tackle this because, you know, 50 is the new 40. And, you know, and there are so many people. We live to we're 100 and odd. Why would we stop having sex at the age of 50? So suddenly there was a market for it. And also it was because what happened to me at 50 was you know, pre-50, I kind of thought, yeah, I knew it all. And I and I kind of thought, it's not going to happen to me, any of this menopause stuff and none of this drop in the beta or anything, because it's me. I know everything. And then I hit 50. And then it was like, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> but honestly, I used to cut off my arms to want sex, you know. And after that, I wouldn't have even loped off a little toe. I was just not interested. And, <laughs> and, and I thought to myself, if I'm struggling with this, and I was really perplexed about it all. I thought, if I'm struggling, with it and I've had all these years 30 years of writing about sex then other people are going to be feeling this as well and um and so when it was I was thinking about this writing the book and then my publisher came to me and said how about writing a book about this and it was like well if ever I was ever going to write another sex book this would be the one I want to write so it was really good writing it and I, and I loved writing all of my books but I especially loved doing my first book which was hot sex and this one feels just as important. I agree. But, I agree. Because you oh, say good. in your book that low desire is the most common sex issue affecting older people, and that it's twice as common in women. And you just shared with us that you, like even uh, a well-educated sex expert who knows everything about how to make it work and work well, were you know, impacted. So what are some of the, fix the fixes if somebody wants to kind of you know, reinvigorate their libido? 
Well, I think one of the first things that you have to remember is that we are just hormones. Everything, you have no idea how much we are governed by hormones, especially with sex. So the low sex drive and all the other sexual problems that you hit post 50 are just those lovely hormones like, you know, um, progesterone, estrogen, um, all just slipping away, testosterone, all just slipping away under the floorboards <laughs> as you get older. <laughs> and that is what's stopping the desire. Now, the main point that you need to, you know, it's, you can have great sex after 50, but it is an attitude change. And I think one of the main things you have to accept is that the, that desire hasn't gone. The only thing that's gone is spontaneous desire. When you're young, the desire for sex just taps you on the shoulder. And that's because you've got loads of these hormones racing around, making you, you know, respond to things and look at somebody and go, wow, they look hot. I want to have sex with them. Well, because those hormones aren't there anymore, that whole spontaneous desire of just suddenly out of nowhere wanting sex goes. But it doesn't mean that you can't feel like sex or get just as aroused or turned on. It just means that you have to create desire. And that is the biggest thing to understand about sex when you're young and sex when you're older is that all you're trying to beat is hormones, basically, in terms of that desire thing. So if you can get that right, that might mean HRT. It might mean um, just changing your mindset. There's, there's lots of practical stuff in the book on how to get it going again. But most of all is understanding why it's gone and understanding that, that it's, you, it doesn't mean sex is going to be any different. You're not going to get as turned on or aroused or wanted as much. It's just going to, you're just going to get there by a different route. I love that. So we're going to cover libido boosters in just a minute. But your first chapter is titled Four Things That Will Revolutionize Your Sex Life, which, of course, I was like, oh, my God, what are they? Uh, and you say in that chapter that you if, if you know, I think your book has 12 chapters and you're say you say that I hope that people focus on this one if you only read one. So what are Ooh. those what are those four things? Let's do a little stage setting. OK, the one number one is manage your expectations. And that's because people moan on and on. Oh, it's not like the way it used to be. And it's like, well, no, because you're not 20. <laughs> you know, we don't go expect, you know, that we're going to be able to run a marathon like we did at 20. But for some reason, we don't allow our bodies to age or our sexual organs to age along with the rest of us. And don't keep, we have two things that we do in sex. We, we think of sex as sort of like A, young people, and B, people having frenetic, you know, like passionate intercourse. Well, you're going to have to move away from both of those things because you're not young anymore. And young sex isn't necessarily better. It's just different sex. Older sex is less intercourse focused, less penetration focused, because you've got him with his, you know, getting wobbly erections. You've got her <laughs> with, you know. Wobbly got, knees. <laughs> wobbly knees, pretty bad back. But, but the funny thing is we'll talk about all the other stuff. We don't mind saying, yeah, my back's not like what it used to, or I can't get down on my knees. But when it comes to admitting that a penis is aged, well, that's a different story. And, and women don't like to say, well, you know what, I get really dry and sex is sometimes painful, but it's just like there are things that you can do and there's lots of practical things you can do to help combat all of these symptoms of you know, post-menopause or perimenopausal, but it's just a mindset. It really is. It's just like rethink everything. Okay, you might not be having the you know big pounding intercourse sessions that you used to have when you were 20, um, but you will be having some lovely, slow, erotic sex that's far less penetration based and more, you know, foreplay gets a promotion, really. You get much more foreplay based sex, which, of course, for women is a very good thing. That is a good so thing. Number one. So that's number one, one, expectations. What's number two, three and four? Um, two, three, five is number two is use it or lose it. 
Yes. Um, the more regular sex you have, the better. That is the best way to keep your genitals in good shape and to keep everything else going because there's lots of benefits that we get from great sex. And the more sex you have, the more sex you want. So if you can have regular sex, if you haven't got someone to have regular sex with, have sex with yourself. So just make sure you're having lots of orgasms to keep everything in good order. Talk about sex is one of them because you, you can solve anything if you can talk to your partner about sex, but you will solve, you will be tripped up by the smallest, smallest hurdle if you can't talk to your partner about sex, particularly as you get older. So that is one thing that you really do need to sort out. I'm trying frantically to think about what the fourth one is. I think it was <laughs> young, young sex isn't better. It's just different. I think, which I've already talked yes. about before. I so love- we need to rethink sex. Yeah. Yes. I think re- rethinking it is great and sort of being generous with yourself and not, not assuming it, you know, it has to be one way to be um, fun and meaningful and special, which, you know, I think is a great mindset for, for anything post 50. Um, yeah you know, we, we, life, life changes a little bit and that's okay. But I, I do want to talk about some specific libido boosters because you have wonderful, um, you know, sort of tactical and practical advice. You talk about HRT, sex toys, lube, foreplay, which you mentioned. Let's hear a little mm-hmm. bit more about how um, these can combine to help, uh, you know, add some mojo to a libido that might be bottoming, bottoming out. I think another thing to remember is that is that we we tend to think that like one of the points is um look for a flicker not a flame and we we tend to think like we've got to be overwhelmed with desire before we want to have sex before we go and you know seek out our partner initiate sex well again because of hormones that feeling isn't as intense so you might get a funny little thing in your stomach and just think oh that's right I remember what that feels like and act on that don't think oh well it's going to get bigger and I'll wait until I really really feel like it before I go and find my partner like act on a flicker expect a flicker not a flame especially if you're in a long-term relationship that's been going on for ages the other thing is we need to move away from the thing that it's our partner's job to turn us turn us on and I think especially if you're um being in a long-term relationship for a while it's kind of up to you to turn yourself on and women are very good at doing this with erotica by reading sexy books by watching a sexy film or just getting a fantasy in your head that you play in your head. We're, we're very good. We've got great imaginations and usually a very rich fantasy life. So use that to sort of make up for not feeling spontaneously aroused all the time. So there are two things that I can think of. Oh, the other thing is just seize life. Like I interviewed hundreds of women for this book and it's so divided into the attitudes of two people. You had people who were like, okay, I'm over 50. I might not look the way I did, but who cares? I'm having a lovely time. And and menopause wasn't something like, oh dear, I've ended up all old and barren. It was like, fantastic. I don't have periods anymore. (laughs) And it's just this sort of women who go out there and go, right, now I've got time for me. Now I've got time for, you know, I mean, lots of them, it has to be said, just left a boring, stale relationship or marriage and just went, right, done my bit. I've had the kids. I've, I've done the right thing by everybody. Now I want to do what I want to do. And they don't have libido problems because, of course, the magical thing about um, starting a new relationship is that your head and brain and hormones don't care how old you are. You'll still get a really big flood of all those things that really make you want to have sex thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. But so, you know, we're going to take a very quick break. But when we come back, I want to ask you about this because many of my listeners are in long term relationships. uh, And I want to explore how you can put the sexy back into a relationship that you've had for a number of years. 
Menopause is inevitable, but the symptoms that accompany it don't have to be. Meet Kindra, the company that will make your peri to post-menopause journey smoother. As a big believer that midlife is more fun with girlfriends, I absolutely love that Kindra cultivates community and shares resources so you feel supported at every turn. Their private Facebook group is a place to ask questions and connect with other women navigating the same terrain. All May, a certain age is exploring different types of relationships and how they evolve in midlife. Kindra also offers products that can support romantic relationships, including the Daily Vaginal Lotion, which helps lessen pain during intimacy, and the Core Supplement, which is clinically proven to boost libido. Who doesn't want better pain-free sex? Kindra has a generous offer for certain age listeners. Any first-time purchasers or subscribers get 20% off anything. Use code KD20 at checkout. That's K-A-T-I-E-2-0. Head to ourkindra.com for menopause essentials that work. Okay. Tracy, we're back. You had mentioned right before we headed into our, our commercial break that it can be hard in a long-term relationship to keep it feeling sexy. And you talk about how there's something called the over-familiarity or the sibling effect, you know, where couples sort of slide into being a best friend or a sibling-like relationship. And this, you know, this caught my eye because I'm in a long-term relationship. You know, um, quick mental math, I've been married for, you know, 26 years and, um, you know, I do think of my husband as my best friend, but, you know, I, you know, we are still having sex and we want to have, you know, more and better. What do you recommend to couples who can't, you know, tap into novelty with a new partner to keep their relationship um, sexy and active? Do you know, this is the biggest, hardest question to, to answer. <laughs> it, it is because... Well, take your time then, because we are here for your answer. We're curious. But every sex therapist in the world gets asked, like, that's what, it, how do I keep desire going? And the reason why it's so difficult is because you've got two forces that are fighting together. Love and sex are not happy bedfellows that we think they are. We think they exist side by side. Well, they don't. They actually cancel each other out in terms of hormones. What we need for love is safety, security. We want to feel protected. You know, we love feeling comfortable. Well, lust hates that. Lust does not thrive in that scenario. Lust likes forbidden things, uncertainty, anxiety, you know, danger, eroticism. Now, most people, because we don't have sex all the time, but you are with your partner all the time, most of us sort of tend to want the nicer feeling emotions. So we fall more and more in love and feel lovely and even more cozy and even more, let's just chill on the sofa with our track pants on, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> which makes you feel great, but it kills sex. It absolutely kills sex. And so it's very, very difficult to know how to keep both going. And I think part of it, again, is realizing that you haven't fallen out of love with your partner. It doesn't mean that you don't fancy them if you don't you know, want to rip their clothes off all the time. This is normal. And ignore all those things which, which really get up my nose, actually. When you see you know, TV and movies and stuff portraying long-term couples who've been together 20 years, waking up on a Sunday morning and just looking at each other and next minute they're having, you know, rip, you know, smacking each other up against a wall it doesn't happen like that it can happen like that if you create it and you've done something really sexy or made an effort to come up with something new to try 
God, it just doesn't happen out of the blue. And I think if we stop feeling guilty about that and think, oh, God, you know, I do think of my partner as my best friend and maybe it does feel a bit like brother-sister sex sometimes. If you think, okay, this is normal, I just need to acknowledge that feeling and then move forward. Well, I'm gonna, you- I am going to jump in there right now and say it does not feel like brother-sister sex. But, <laughs> but when you do have a long-term relationship, you're right. You know, you have to work harder. And I like what you what you flagged and what my guest last week talked about, uh, Laura Williams, when she talked about dating in midlife after a marriage ends, you know, that sometimes um, sex needs to be you know, scheduled. It needs to be prioritized. And that yeah. that culture in movies will tell you it's just this you know, wellspring of emotion that overcomes you. But, you know, when when you're living a life, you 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 prioritize other things like exercise and nutrition and that sex doesn't have to simply just be romantic. And that's one of the wonderful things about your book. And I'm going to encourage everyone who's listening to the show to go buy it because I was blown away by all of the like really practical, tactical advice you give. It's not just big picture stuff, although that's there. I mean, you share things like if you're at a certain age and your back hurts and your knees hurt. You know, we were joking about it earlier, but you can actually like exercise or stretch out or or do different things. And you have one mm. section that's actually called, you know, hand jobs for grownups, uh, where you give a like, very specific advice that I was like, whoa, like I wouldn't have thought of that. But you also do focus on big picture thinking. You've got a whole chapter that says, you know, but I don't feel sexy anymore. So I would love to, you know, just do a little bit of tactical stuff and then maybe do some big picture. So what is a hand job for a grown up? What does that mean? Um, uh, the difference between a hand job for a grown up and a hand job for when you're younger is that you're you're looking at two different things. When when somebody, a man's very young, his problem is that he's going to ejaculate too quickly. When he's older, he needs a firmer touch and more stimulation. So it's almost like the opposite way. So if I was writing about hand jobs for younger people, I'd be saying like, you know, interject stimulation, hold off, stop now and then. When it's for older people, it's all about a different kind of stimulation, adding stimulation rather than stopping it. Um, and so there's all sorts of things that you can do to, and also that there's a lot in there to, that's all about risk taking. It's all about very careful risk taking. I'm not promoting sleeping with other people or anything. Though if you want to do that, that's fine. But little risks, like for instance, a very quick way to promote, um, to increase his erection, make it more intense and harder is to introduce anal play. And anal play is something that a lot of older couples do enjoy um, because Often, like, say, you, if your vagina is really dry and, and you're not, um, sex isn't that um, comfortable for you, you know, there are other ways to experience orgasms, including using sex toys and just discovering new areas. That's one of the and, things that uh, you talked about with the hand job too. I think it was, like, yeah. some kind of special mitten that you could wear that has, like, what do you call it? I don't even know what it's called. I'm probably mischaracterizing. I don't know if it was a mitten. But... That's hilarious. It's called, I'm going to always call it a mitten from now on. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds too innocent. Maybe that's like a sibling mitten, but we need something else. What is it actually called? I can't remember. They're called um, strokers, and they, they're literally like a sleeve, a sleeve sil- um, made of silicone that have got little nodules on them that you slip over the penis, and then you move it up and down. So it's like, a, a, a you know, the middle of a hairbrush, but without the spikes on it. And it feels, <laughs> and it feels amazing. When I, I do a couple of ranges of sex toys, and when the people gave me one to test, and I said, this is just ridiculous. And they gave me about three, actually. I handed them over to my male friends, who I always use as male Sure. You know, um, human um, 
what do you call you know, it? Focus groups or guinea pigs. Yeah, or... yeah, basically. And they were like, you've got to be kidding me. And then they used them. And they, this is in the beginning before they were really commonplace. And they just said, I cannot believe how different that feels. It, they are blown away. And something like that, it costs about £10 or about $20 at the most. And it just adds something that you've never done before. And people often of our age group haven't experimented as much with sex toys as anyone else. So they are a prime, easy, very easy, instant way to jazz up your sex life and give you something new to do and talk about. Yeah, your book is full of, like like I said, very practical ideas that I that I thought like, wow, like some of these really can be incorporated to make your routines better. Um, sex toys is obviously one. Before we, we move on to sort of the big picture, I don't feel sex anymore. I would like to keep talking about sex toys. You have, is it, am I correct that you have two lines of sex toys or you work with a, a co- companies yeah, yeah. that create them? Tell me more. Yeah. Now, I do have um, two lines of sex toys. They're both with Love Honey, uh, which are in the US and doing very well there. Um, one is aimed at men and one is aimed at couples and women. And they're all about um, basically, I mean, the reason why I did it is that when I started this off, which was about 20 years ago, most sex toys were really tacky. Most of them were not um, made by women. So every single vibrator was penis shaped, which is ridiculous because I think only about 20% of women insert vibrators. So it, I came at it from with a female eye of looking and I thought, okay, the other thing I would like to see is nicer packaging and also instructions. I mean, Love Honey used to send me stuff and say, would you like this in the range? And I'd have to ring them up and say, I don't even know what it is. What am I looking at here? <laughs> I had no idea. And um, so it was, that was a really interesting experience about designing sex toys because you, you want something that looks amazing and beautiful and stylish, and then you realise when you're designing them that, in fact, there's a reason why those horrible old black plastic, hard plastic things are so popular is because they really carry vibration well. So there were so many lessons in that. But sex toys are amazing, and they're especially good if you are having any problems because lots of women post-menopause have sensitivity problems. They either get oversensitive or undersensitive, and your sex toy, your vibrator doesn't mind if you turn it up or down. It won't get offended. And so they can, they're really good. They can also help you start having sex warm, which is something I talk a lot about in the book, um, and which is getting semi-aroused before you get up, get into bed with your partner. So you're not going cold into the, into the situation because sometimes, again, because of hormones, it can make, um, mean that you take a little bit longer to get aroused. So yes. lots of women buy little bullet vibrators, which look like a big tampon. And they're really small and really discreet and incredibly effective. And just pop off to the bathroom. I mean, not fine if you want to use it as couple play with your partner. But if you are a bit embarrassed or you don't feel comfortable with that, just pop off to the bathroom beforehand. Use that on your clitoris and you will be getting into bed with your partner and feeling, you know, a lot more aroused than you would have been. You're ready to go. I was actually yeah, surprised, yeah. too, by some of the devices that you talked about in this uh, chapter or throughout the book that can help with sexual issues that stem from things like um, medications, perhaps if you've had um, surgeries or have other things have happened and penetration for whatever reason is uncomfortable. There's kind of like a ring that can prevent like complete penetration, but allows for pleasure. And there was just like a range of devices I've never even heard of that people are using for a variety of reasons. Um, Yes. Yeah, the buffer thing that you're talking about um, is um, is called an O-nut. Well, I actually do one in my range, and here I'm advertising another one. But the <laughs> O-nut was the original, and it, you, I know it's really big in America, and it's brilliant. And it's a little, um, it's like a thick um, sort of wedge thing that you wear at the bottom of the penis. So it's like a big, thick 
squidgy ring and it literally stops him penetrating too deeply and you know because you can say oh I won't go in too deep and then people get carried away and it's it's been incredibly successful because for women whose sex the sex is painful for women like they know that if their partner's wearing that they can't get carried away so they relax and therefore sex is better so there are some amazing inventions out there yeah, They're absolutely. Really for use for couples, like you were saying, men, men and women, but also the vibrators. If you know, if you're, if you're in a couple with a woman, you know, there's, there's oh yeah, so, oh they're great for for all types of sexualities. For, for for wonderful tools. So this book is chock full of really tactical, practical stuff. But I want to now move into big picture because you have a whole chapter to but I don't feel sexy anymore. And I feel that every single person, this is not this is not like a gender issue, has moments of time in their midlife where you're like not feeling yourself. So what would be your recommendation around mindset, tool, you know, maybe one to two tips when you don't feel sexy anymore that people can incorporate? I think the really interesting thing about this, because I, I loved writing this chapter because I've always been a bit body dysmorphic. And I found from all the research on on how to make yourself more comfortable in bed if you do feel body conscious and if you don't particularly like your body or if you just think your body's not good enough, the two things that really worked are two very practical things, have more sex and improve your sex skills. And when you say that to people, you're like, what? How's that going to help? Well, having more sex is, is the best way to make you feel better about your body because your subconscious does the work for you. It skips past all those awful inner negative thoughts and goes, you know what? If this person wants to have sex with you all the time, then you're not half bad. And the more good sex you have, the more your brain goes, hey, I can't be that bad because this person's continuing to want to have sex with me. So that's the first thing. The second thing is women who are really good lovers, who are very confident of their technique in bed, very rarely feel body conscious in bed. They might feel conscious out of it, but they don't usually feel conscious in bed. And it's logical when you think about it. If you think you're pretty hot stuff and you're so used to, you know, people, ex-lovers or your current lover going, wow, that was amazing. You're not going to spend the whole session thinking about your cellulite. You're just going to be there (laughs) in the moment. So that's two quick tips for that. And they really do work, by the way. I I love those. Those are great tips. Um, Okay, tips for navigating affairs, because you also have a chapter in the book about this, about um, you know, when your partner has an affair, when you have an affair, kind of uh, recovering, navigating or managing. Mm. This uh, is tricky. I mean, it is tricky. And the thing about affairs, I mean, I come from a background where my dad had an affair for 10 years and I ended up the most jealous person you've ever met. And I remember, you know, like writing about affairs back in the beginning of my 20s. And it was basically if I could castrate anyone, you know, even thinking of them. <laughs> and as I get, and I remember one of the, my shrink friends saying to me, if you, you know, and I was happily married the first time round, and him saying to me, right, if you caught your partner down the back of, you know, you're at a party, a barbecue, and, you, you know, you walk down the back and there's your partner with his first love that happens to be also at the same party. You see them exchanging a really simple kiss. Would you leave? him and you've got two kids I don't have two kids but he was giving me a scenario I was absolutely of course I would leave are you crazy why on earth we said but just could have been just a nice little didn't we have a lovely time nothing sexual in it nothing no I was absolutely adamant that I would leave and now at the age of 59 my second marriage I'm so happy and I adore him would I leave if I stumbled upon something like that? Probably not. I wouldn't want to stumble on it sure. and I'd be horrified. But of course, people make mistakes. 
I know so many cases of couples who I know very, very well, and one of them has made a mistake. And I'm not talking about affairs like my dad's where it went on and on and on. A one night thing or a two night thing or just one moment, you know, that got out of hand. And I, we, none of us want to have those moments or see those moments or, you know, have our partners have them. But I think, uh, you know, people do recover from affairs and sometimes affairs can be a wake up call. I'd never suggest it ever. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's too much, way, but, too um, much. Yeah, but I think we need to stop saying happy people have affairs. There's a book called that and I think it's true. Happy people have affairs. Um, I, I think that's, you put your finger on something too, that as we age our, it's not that our um, morality shifts, but our, our we become more attuned to the, the nuances of relationships and, 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 and why things occur and um, that there could be more understanding or uh, around a period of unhappiness or something that caused yeah. somebody to stray. And, but you're right. I think the idea of, of sort of seeking these out as, as novel, there's so much emotional turmoil. I, I've seen people in my life go through the, this experience and it's, yeah. there's a lot of emotional turmoil and fallout and it's, it's, it's not the oh. best idea. The, the, the novelty should be coming from those like fun sex toys that you talked about. <laughs> but the thing that, the thing that most, if, if you are somebody who's had an affair or, you know, been in the situation, the one thing that counts is, did you see it? Did you feel like you could spot it again? Because I think the worst affairs and the ones that never really get forgiven is if everything's happy, you didn't see anything wrong with the relationship, you didn't spot any clues. How do you recover from that? Because you you will never see it again if it happens because they got away with it. I think the affairs that people get over are ones that happen if you're going through a rough patch, if you could sort of think, okay, I, I kind of get why that happened. You've got to understand it. But if everything was just perfect, I think it's very difficult to recover. It's such a blow. So talk about sexless marriage, because you cover that in an entire chapter as well. We just discussed that people uh, in midlife and as you age start to bring, you know, perhaps more nuance or empathy or understanding to their relationships. Um, So what is your take on a sexless marriage? You know, they they occur, obviously, because you've written a whole chapter about it. Should people stay in sexless marriages? Are there benefits? Are there negatives? Tell us your thinking. I think that there are many, many people who have been married for more than 20 years who are in sexless relationships and perfectly happy. But what you have to do is you must have a conversation about it. And I was quite shocked, actually, when I was researching the book and talking to lots of the people that I know really well and how many of the couples that I know who get on really well, tell each other everything, who've just quietly stopped having sex and they haven't had the conversation. And I was absolutely horrified about it. And I made all of them have the conversation and they're all, without exception, really glad that they did. The reason why you have to have the conversation, even if you're both happy to stop having sex and and people who, you know, maybe a lot of these couples got together when they were very young. I guess I'm just guessing that neither of them were that intersex anyway. And it was something that they perfectly, you know, enjoyed perfectly well for a number of years. And now they just think, you know what, we've had enough. And we're more than happy to kiss that goodbye. Um, in a lot of the cases, and it nearly is always the case, if you've got a man over 40 who stops having sex and just won't talk about it, it's because of erection difficulties. And there's a whole chapter on that in the book, that how a man losing his erection is the biggest psychological catastrophe that he could ever have. So that's often why these older couples stop having sex is because the man just won't He'd rather have never have sex again than admit to having a less than perfect erection. If that's um, something so that, that's happening for any of our listeners, if that's happening in their lives, how would you encourage them to support their partner or their husband if 
if that's the yeah. man in their life. You need to say something along the lines of, again, if you can go back to the first thing, talk about sex. If you're with a, somebody that you've always been talking about sex to, this isn't a problem because then you just say to them, hey, I've noticed you're having problems with your erections. I'm also not as lubricated as I was or sometimes sex hurts and it didn't. Isn't, you know, getting old is fun, isn't it? Ha ha. Let's look at how, we, how we get around this. So it's an easy conversation if you talk about sex. If you don't talk about sex, then it's difficult, but there is no other way around it other than to actually just say, um, I've noticed we're not having sex as much. I really miss having sex with you. Can we talk about why we're not having it? If, and he if, will be defensive and get funny about it and probably stomp out. But then you've, you've put it out there then. And then from then on, it's like, can we talk about it now? Um, because, you know, I really would like to continue having sex and, and, um, you know, I've, how do you, how are you feeling about sex? There's a reason why you're not having sex anymore. And if he's still not talking about it, then just normalize it. Say, look, I know that a lot of men over the age of 45, you know, 40% of men or more higher, actually up to about 60 have problems getting erections. Is this happening to you? Is this what's making you embarrassed? And there are lots of conversation starters in the book because people I've noticed over the years really want me to say, but exactly what do I say? So there's things like say this. Yes, <laughs> say that. there's such. Exactly. This is such a great primer for having conversations with your partner, with your doctor, you know, with the women in your life, with your with yourself about yeah. how do you, you know, each chapter gives you a nugget that you can use to move your sex life forward. You know, if if it's non-existent or if it's like good, you know, but you want it to be great. So this is such a wonderful book. I want to ask one last question before we move on to talking about your podcast. So you mentioned that you were surprised. You had hundreds of conversations. You were surprised to learn that some couples were in sexless marriages. During your hundreds of conversations, was there anything else that you were surprised about that you learned about sex in midlife and post-50? Um, I wasn't surprised, but I was absolutely reinforced. What I've always thought is that, you know, age is an attitude and sex is an attitude. The people, the couples or the women particularly who were really happy with themselves, really happy with their bodies and willing, really enjoyed sex. And they would have found a way around anything to keep having sex. If you want to keep having sex until you're 108, you will <laughs> and you can. And, and there are ways around it. And the people who who were miserable and bitter about the way they looked or not having sex and hated sex, and they were having a miserable time. It's all to do with, it's all attitude. Our brains control everything, including our bodies. I love it. That's so true. So tell me more about this podcast, because it's got such a great title. Uh, moms don't have time to have sex. But, you know, clearly, like, you're a mom, I'm a mom, we're having sex. Tell us a little bit about the podcast who you'll be talking to, what listeners can expect and learn. Okay. I'm not actually a mom. I'm a stepmom. You're stepmom. Okay. Yeah, I'm a stepmom. So this all came about with me doing publicity for my book. And um, Zibby Owens does a very successful podcast called Mums Don't Have Time to Read Books. So the Mums Don't Have Time to is her brand. And on the podcast, the first, when she's interviewing me, she sort of pauses and then says, do you know what? I think you should host my a podcast called Mums Don't Have Time to Have Sex. You'd be brilliant. And I actually thought we were off air by that point. So I'm chatting away and going, oh, yeah, how would that work? <laughs> and then at the end of it, I, I was like, she was like, I'm serious, I'm serious. And it was on the podcast, so it's quite funny to listen to. So we recorded, I think there are four that are live, and um, and they we, we're sort of feeling our way. But what it is is Zippy's quite hilariously, she blushes and I do the straight talking. 
And she even whispers. It's hilarious. So if she has to say something like, oh, sex, she'll <laughs> in case the kids are in the next room. And it works because you've got somebody who's innocent. And if she has to say sex mitten, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to call it that from now on. I love it. Um, so, so we take three questions <clears throat> that people can leave. Um, either through my um, social media or through her website. And there are loads and loads of them. And we try and cover a variety of topics. And we just, she asks the question, I answer it. We have a bit of chatting in between. And um, so it's a very simple format, but it's it's good and it's quite funny. And um, and we thoroughly enjoy doing it. So I think that shows on the podcast, but it's only in early stages now. It's only up to show four, but hopefully people will listen to it. And can can listeners submit questions, Cause, you know, anonymously yes. or, you know, on that's, that's yeah absolutely and um it says if you go it's on all the podcasts is available on apple it's on spotify um all the usual places podbean and um it says on the show notes that you just go into zibby um owens.com slash sex and you can submit your question question there obviously all anonymous and um yeah we're getting loads of them actually so um and they're all very interesting. So, yes. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So what do you think? Are any of them about midlife or are they about younger? younger no, any, any age. Any age at all. Okay. Because I think, um, yeah, so so it's any age. So I think the main audience for her podcast or our podcast is about oh, anything from 30 maybe to older, maybe even younger. Um, I'd say it's probably about 30 to, yeah. Any age, really. Okay, terrific. Because the questions, are, questions would be all the, the age group, and they've been all over the place. Actually, older than that, because one um, question came from a 70-year-old woman who wanted to know um, oral sex tips. <laughs> so, okay, I love yeah. it. You're never too old, well, and it's, nev- exactly. it's so you're that's, never that's too actually, old, and it's never too late. You can do <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. So any age, really, and also about the book. Um, it's pitched at fifty year olds and under, but really, I would say it's useful for anyone over the age of forty. Such a fantastic resource and so wonderful that you're taking listener questions because there's so much to learn. So if you were to share another product or a resource, you've had so many great ideas. I'm going to link to the the sex mitten. I'm going to link to your books. I will be linking to the podcast and uh, linking to some of the other uh, sex toys that you reference. But is there something that you really think could make a difference in people's lives on this sort of midlife great sex journey that you want to share with our listeners? Gosh, that's put me on the spot. <laughs> I am putting you on the spot. You have 17 <laughs> books to flip through. What's the one thing you want to surface? <laughs> All right. Post 50, I don't know how anyone could ever even contemplate sex as a woman without lubricant. So a good quality lube is your friend. And vaginal pessaries, vaginal estrogen pessaries. If you can take them, if you can use them, and most women can, they will change the whole, yeah, they would change. All, it, they get rid of all those problems with dryness, soreness, all that sort of stuff. I don't so, even think I can yeah. spell that. What is that? Tell me, a vagina what? <laughs> pessary, pessary. So it's P-E-S-S-A-R-Y. And maybe it's an English term. It's it's that you put, so instead of putting, so it's just a, uh, pessary is just a way of putting cream and or a tablet inside of you. Got it. So it's like an applicator that it's a pessary. And then it's up, it's a pessary topical thing. So it's a topical um, cream and it just really works to give you the vagina of your youth all right sign us up lubes and creams the vagina of your youth this has been so much fun tracy where can our listeners keep following you your podcast and your work Okay. Well, most well, it's all on my website actually. Um, all the handles, social media handles, are on there, uh, which is tracy t r a c e y c o x dot com. So everything's on there. Thank you, Tracy. 
This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. If you enjoyed this week's show, please stop what you're doing and take a minute to click clack over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the pod to rate and review the show. Reviews really matter. I'd love yours. Join me next week when we continue to explore relationships in midlife from a variety of angles. My guest is naval aviator Nancy LaCour, a rear admiral and mother of six who joins me to talk love of country, patriotism, and life as a military family. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.